0: Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Saturday, grandparents to be a part of that, to see all that God will do in that ministry. Let's pray together before I begin. Father, we just thank you again for your mercy and for your grace. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to study your word. Lord, we we are excited about the time we have together as we open up the truth of the text of, of the Word of God, Father, and we are just, uh, Father, excited about what we can learn. So I just pray that you would just give us the ability to see clearly. I pray, Father, that you would keep us free from distraction and be able to focus on you and to think about you, Father. And I pray through the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, you would speak to our hearts and our minds and transform us more into the image of Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that we pray. Amen summer of 2007, our church took a mission trip to Anchorage, Alaska, and we've gone back several times, we've taken other teams and individuals have gone, and, and we had the chance to go, Amy and I went with our oldest brother of Gracie, and we did a lot of interesting things around Anchorage, we did some back to our Bible clubs, we did some door-to-door evangelism, I'll tell you, if you've ever done faith and you think door-to-door evangelism is hard in the Bible Belt, <laughs> you should try it in an Anchorage. I had more doors slammed in my face than I could count, and then one person told me, "You have to understand something. A lot of people move to Anchorage because they want to get away from things. And when you come to their house, they're not really interested in hearing what you have to say." But God blessed that trip. He did a lot of neat things through that trip. But we had some time while we were there to do some sightseeing and see some interesting things. And one of the things we got the opportunity to experience was what they called their flat top mountain. Now, Flat Top Mountain is a mountain just outside of Anchorage, Alaska. And when you climb to the top, of it, there are incredible views of the surrounding area. In fact, I've got a picture. Stephen, I think if we bring the two people standing there on the rock, there you go, looking out into the distance. That's Flat Top. You can't see Anchorage from there, but depending on the direction you turn, you can see Anchorage and the beauty of Anchorage. But the interesting thing about this trek up this mountain is it gets pretty steep. It starts off just a trail, and it's pretty easy going, but the closer you get to the top, the steeper it gets. And there's a change in elevation of about 1,200 feet. Now, if you've ever done any hike, and a change in elevation over the course of a couple of miles of 1,200 feet is quite a hike. And so you start all slow. As you get closer to the top, it becomes harder and harder and you're scrambling for boulders and you're kind of helping each other up because it's becomes very difficult towards the top a of the mountain. In fact, they took a picture of me right before we got to the summit season. I think we've got a picture. There I am, right there. <laughs> right? That's me. Little more hair, lot more muscles, glasses. Just take it down. Let me take it down. That's going to distract me. I'm stare at that. <laughs> So we took this trip up this mountain, right? Well, it was interesting the way this thing played out because there was a group of about 20 people. And as we got, you know, on the trip, it was probably a two-mile trip to get up there. The, the group kind of spread out a little bit. Some people were a little slower, some people were a little faster. So kind of the lead group got a little bit smaller. There were several us that were still together. We had a guy leading us up. Well, Amy and some of the others were a little slower. They stayed closer to the back. So we get up to the kind of the top of that mountain and the guide leads us right up. When you start getting to these big boulders towards the top, there's no real trail. And it becomes difficult to know exactly how to navigate. But our little group stayed together and we made it to the top. And what we realize is some of the others that stayed back didn't make it. And as we started looking, what we realized is that Amy and a couple others had kind of made a wrong turn. <laughs> and when you get up to the top of the mountain and it's boulders like that and you make a wrong turn, you find yourself in a pretty bad spot. Now, my wife is scared to death of heights as it is. So she kind of made her way out across some boulders, and she thinks. She's made, she, she she ended up kind of on the edge of this cliff just scared to death. And she literally said, my legs would not move. <laughs> she said, I was standing on that boulder, and I thought to myself, they're going to have to get a helicopter over here to rescue me. That's so what she was thinking. Well, the guy gets this found and brought it back down. And we all made it down safely. But it reminded me that I was studying this week in Acts chapter 2. Of the importance, sometimes of having other people in our lives to help us over those boulders. It's important, isn't it? Sometimes we need other people around us to help us and to lead us and to guide us. And sometimes when we stray off from the pack, when we stray off from the group, bad things can happen. And so I want to think this morning about community. I want to think this morning about that group of believers that can surround us. I want to think this morning about fellowship. And Acts chapter 2 paints a great picture of the early church. And it paints a great picture of the community and the fellowship found within that first century church. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you over to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. A little background about the book of Acts. Before we delve into the passage of Scripture, when we catch ourselves to kind of where we would be in Acts chapter 2. Jesus Christ has come to the earth. He's lived a sinless life. He's willingly walked to Calvary. He's given his life on the cross. He's died. He was buried. He's been resurrected. And at this point in Acts chapter 2, he's ascended. So Acts chapter 1, he ascends into heaven. Acts chapter one eight is, is the call to go to the nations. The beginning of Acts chapter 2 is Pentecost when the Holy Spirit falls upon the believers. You may remember the story, tongues of Fire. The Bible tells us in the middle portion of Acts chapter 2 that thousands of people were saved. Three thousand, in fact, on this day of Pentecost. And then at this point, we arrive at the end of Acts chapter 2, it's in this context of the newly formed church. The new group of believers have just been formed. It's in this context that we find ourselves in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. So let's look at it together. I think we have another strength as well. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42. They, now these are the believers. By what Christianity at that time there was just a few thousand believers worldwide. You have to understand that. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship in breaking of bread and to prayer. Now for the next two weeks, this week and next week, I'm going to focus on this passage of Scripture. And I'm going to talk about community and I'm going to talk about fellowship and I'm going to talk about surrounding ourselves with believers that can help us and lead us and guide us. And as we delve into this passage of Scripture, As we begin to try to understand exactly what Luke is teaching here in the book of Acts, I want to point your attention to kind of what I think is an overriding principle in this passage of Scripture. It's an overriding principle in the early church. The first thing I want you to see and understand, that you need to see and understand in order to put this in perspective, is that number one, in the early church, there was first of all, this sense of togetherness and community. That's very important for us to understand. One of the foundational principles, the overriding principle in this passage of Scripture, Is that everything that they did relating to Christ and who Christ was, and they're studying their prayer, All that happened within the context of community. They weren't doing it alone by themselves. They were doing it with other believers. They were studying with other believers. They were praying with other believers. They were eating with other believers. We see this this principle of togetherness in community. So let's take a look at those verses again. Bring those back up, Stephen, if you would. I want to point out to you how this passage of Scripture points to the idea of community and togetherness. Verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. There's community and togetherness. To the breaking with bread. There's community and fellowship. And to prayer. Verse 43. Everyone was filled with awe. Many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. Verse 44. All the believers were together. So the sense of community. And they had everything in common. Verse 45. Selling their possessions and goods they gave as anyone, to anyone as he had need. Now verse 46. Every day they continued to meet together. There is again in the simple course. They broke bread in their homes. There is again. And they ate together with God and sincere heart. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. We see time after time after time again in these few verses that there's a sense of togetherness. There's a sense of community. Now the Bible uses the word fellowship. The Bible uses the word fellowship to explain this togetherness and to explain this idea of community. For the early church, for the first century church, this was foundational. That's interesting to me because I've got a degree in history and I enjoy reading and studying history, so I, I oftentimes like to kind of take a step back and put things in historical context. So if you, you kind of take a step back and you look at the 1st century and you understand that you the 1st century believer to the early church community and fellowship and togetherness and having everything in common was very important to me. Now fast forward 2,000 years to where we are now we seem to have lost a lot of that sense of community. Effort. We've moved away from the importance of being together to this idea of it's an individual deal, Right? My Christianity is individual to me. My Christianity is something that I need to worry about, and I need to worry about alone. So here's the kind of mindset we have as believers today. We think about our Christianity, we talk about our Christianity, and we do it in terms like this. You can't tell me what to do.
1: What I do in my personal life
0: is none of your business. The way I choose to live my life has nothing to do with you. You do what you want to do, and I'll do what I want to do. That's kind of the model that we have in our world today. That's kind of the individual mentality we find, especially in Western culture. Here's the problem with that. That mindset has found its way into the church. And so we have believers now that think they can live their Christian life isolated from groups of other believers. Isolated from community isolated from other people that can help reign them in and help them think about the things of Christ. A man by the name of Ivar Harrell, it's an interesting name, wrote a book. His book is entitled The Early Christians in Their Own Words. And here's what he did. He compiled writings from the first century. He went back and he looked and found writings of early believers in the first century, that early church, and he compiled them to a book. It's fascinating. You can read exactly what they said, letters they wrote to each other. Things that they said. And here's a quote from his book. He says the early Christians challenge us to see discipleship as a path away from self. See that? They challenge us to see discipleship as a path away from self toward a wholly transformed social order. To them, it demanded a solidarity in which men and women of all backgrounds, creeds, and cultures would join hands in rejecting the spirit of this age and giving their lives instead to a new cause, the rulership of Christ on earth. It's interesting. He says for the first century Christian, it was moving away from self. It wasn't about an individual. It was about the community. It was about fellowship. Now don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. There's certainly time to be an individual, and individuality can be very important. And there's a time when we shouldn't be alone. But we need to understand that we should do those things in the bigger context of the community of believers. Of the fellowship of believers that we surround ourselves with. Now in today, you, you hear this phrase often times of the, the idea of postmodernism, The idea that there is no absolute truth. The idea that there is just relative truth. And relative truth looks something like this. If it feels good for you, you do it. If it feels good to me, I'm just going to do it. It doesn't matter what you say. I say we're just going to do what we want to do. If we feel good about it, that's what's going to happen in our lives. There's, There's several problems with that. The first problem is that there is absolute truth. And people may claim that there's relative truth, but they still live their lives and make their decisions based on some sort of an absolute truth. The second problem with that mindset is it's not biblical. It's not the way God designed it to happen. God did not desire us to be Christians and believers. And we to are totally isolated from other believers. So we, we have this mindset in our world today, I think sometimes with this kind of long range of Christian, right? We can do it ourselves. We don't need a smaller group of people to hold us accountable. We don't need a smaller group of people. We can kind of do it on our own. I can study my Bible on I can pray on I can I can do all the things that I need to do on my own. But here's the problem. As we isolate ourselves from a body of believers, from a group of other Christians, we oftentimes begin to drift from the path. Don't we? And so God's given us this straight narrow path. He says, this is the direction you should go. If we're not surrounding ourselves with people that can hold us accountable, people that can reign us back in, people that can help us understand how we need to think, if we don't surround ourselves with those kinds of people, it's very easy for us to drift. I'll never forget growing up. I've told this story before, but we went to church in Fairway, Georgia, lived in the Grange. And so Sunday morning, we drove to Atlanta and back. Sunday night, Atlanta Landing that. Wednesday night, Atlanta back. That's a lot of driving. But oftentimes the case, we would we would be at church until late. My dad was in the ministry. We'd, we'd finish everything. He'd turn the lights off. We were the last person to So there were nights, nice. Wednesday nights, especially after choir practice, we wouldn't leave that church until nine thirty or 10 o'clock. And so we'd be driving home late. My dad would be tired to driving. He'd work all day, and then he'd go to the church and, and with the scene and lit quiet practice. You you can imagine, man, I know you're not gonna understand this, but my dad was a little stubborn when it came to driving. I, I know I know nobody else is like that, right? Like, no other man in here is like that. But my dad was a little stubborn. And so so our lives oftentimes would be missing out driving home. My dad is, is literally very tired and sick, but he wouldn't he would let my mom drive. I'm fine, you know, I don't you know kind I'm fine. And so my job as a teenager, I always felt was to watch my dad. That's what I was doing. Because if my dad goes to sweep that's a bad deal, right? So I'm watching dad. So before I see dad's driving, everything's fine, you know, then he kind of gives a, you know the quick nod. And then it's a little slower nod, and then phone he's you know, he's out. And when my dad would start nodding like that, my response would be I, I, I dad, hey dad, I grab his shoulders, I hit his own lip. I'm fine, huh? I'm fine. And then the 30 years later, he's smooth him. See, See, my job at that moment was to kind of keep my dad on the straight and narrow. I had to do that. That's kind of what I felt like my responsibility was because he was drifting. You know, we need other people sometimes to keep us from drifting. We don't need other believers to speak truth into our life and say something like this. Have you really thought about this? The way the way you're, you're living over here, I'm not sure that's honoring Christ. But see, in our in our, in, our, I, in, our, in our individual mindset, we want to say, "Let's well, just use none of your business, right?" <laughs> none of your business. What I think and what I do, but it's not the way God intended it. God didn't intend us to live alone with our Christianity. He intended us to live in community with other believers. But here's the difficulty with doing that: living in community with other believers can be kind of messy, right? And it can be real difficult. Because if you're going to surround yourself with other believers, you've you got to care about those people, don't you? And you've got to love those people. And you've got to share with those people. You've got to allow those people to come into your life. And you've got to let your guard up. you've got to let them be a part of who you are. And what you're doing is you begin to live life together. You know, people are perfect. And I'm not perfect. And living this life together for Christ can be a very difficult thing. But it's so interesting to me because that's foundational what the early church was built upon as they prayed and as they studied and as they witnessed, they did it in community. They didn't do it as individual believers. J.R. Catherine, who's a very well-known writer and scholar, said this. He said, The fellowship of sharing with one another, what we have received from the Lord, is a spiritual necessity. I think that's right. For God has not made us self-sufficient. We are not made so we can keep going on our own. See, if you're not involved with some other small group of believers that can hold you accountable and lift you up and help you better, I think you're missing one of God's greatest blessings. And so here's the question we need to ask ourselves. Based on the teaching of Acts chapter 2, based on the teaching of Luke here, based on the clear model of the early church, how everything they did was, was in this context of community, based on that understanding, we have to ask ourselves this question. Where do we receive our sense of community? Where are we getting our fellowship? What's the group of people that have surrounded us and are helping us think through life and live life for the glory of God? Now, most people's response is this. Well, I get it from church, and that's exactly where you should get it. But I think a lot of people stop short because a lot of people think this. They think I go to church and I go to the worship service, and then I go home and I get everything I need. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Worship is extremely important. And it's talking about over and over and over in the Word of God. I mean, we should. What we're doing now is exactly what we should be doing. Singing and praising and praying and studying the Word together. We, we understand that those things are, are very, very important. But I think if all we're doing is showing up in a worship service, we're, we're missing another level of Christianity. And I want you to see that in verse 42. Look again at verse 42, what Luke says here. Luke says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. To the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayer. So, so not only do we, do we see this overall sense of togetherness in community first, but the second thing we notice in the context of this early church is that they devoted themselves to God and to one another. That's important.
1: There was a devotion to God and a devotion
0: to one another. Now Luke is very clear here. He, he gives us four very specific things that they devoted themselves to. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, They devoted themselves to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Now here's what I want you to understand about those four things. All four things took place within that church. All four of those things were very important. All four of those things happened on a regular basis. But all four of those things were very different. They weren't the same. So the apostles' teaching was not the same as prayer. Prayer was not the same as breaking bread. Breaking bread wasn't always the same as fellowship. All those things were very important, and they did all those things, but they each had their own place. And if the early church had neglected one of those things, it would have weakened the others. See, if the church had failed to pray, they wouldn't have seen the power of God in their lives, would they? If they had failed to study the apostles' teaching, they wouldn't have understood how they should have lived and how they should have worshipped if they haven't spent time fellowshipping and breaking bread together, then we've miss that togetherness that God desires them to have. But I think we get even, even a clearer picture of the distinctions within the early church if we look at verse 46. I don't to listen to what it says. Every day, now this is every day, they continue to meet together in the temple courts, they grow bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. I think what Luke is showing us is there's a distinction. There's a distinction between the time they met in the temple court and there's a distinction between the time they met in their homes and they ate together. Both are very important, but both can be very different. Now we understand that the New Testament was kind of a different world, obviously. It was a different time. As we fast forward 2,000 years and the, and the model that most churches follow now is similar to this model in a sense. We meet in a larger setting for worship. And then we hopefully go to... But I want you to understand something about, about this context, about this passage of Scripture. Luke makes this distinction, I think, because both of those things are very important. If you do one without the other, I think you're you're missing the blessing of God. If you're just coming to worship and you're not surrounding yourself with a small group of people that you can study the Bible with, a small group of people you can pray with, a small group of people you can break bread and fellowship with, if you're not surrounding yourself with that small group of people, I think you're missing what Christ commands us to do and who Christ commands us to do. You, you kind of think out for a visual picture like this of concentric circles. So we've got the kind of the big outside circle is worship. And we're involved in worship, and for most people their entry point into the church, that outside circle is worship. Most people visit the church for the first time in worship. Then worship we have a corporate time together, we pray together, we study the word together, we sing songs and worship together, but the inside of that larger circle of worship is a smaller circle of fellowship. And when we start thinking about fellowship, we think about times when we can communicate with each other about the things of God. We can study the Bible together personally. We can hold each other accountable. When we can grow together in our prayer, we can understand where God is leading and how God is directing us. Now, worship is extremely is extremely, important. We shouldn't set it aside and we shouldn't minimize it. But if all you do is come to worship, I think you're missing something. Because in worship, you can't have that interaction one-on-one with somebody and question them about the Word of God. You can't pour out your heart to somebody about your specific prayer requests and your specific needs. You can't lift one another up. You can't think about each other's burdens in the context of a bigger group like this because you need a small fellowship. You need a small group of people you can surround yourself with that can guide you and direct you and lead you and keep you on course. Donald Whitney, he was a modern author. has written a lot about spiritual growth and spiritual health. And he wrote a book about the spiritual disciplines of the church. And he made a comment in that book that I think is very interesting. He says, fellowship should always grow in the soil of small group Bible study. The importance of growing together and understanding the Word of God at a small group is so important. And we see it's important by the phrase that Luke uses in verse 42. He says that they devoted themselves. Man, devotion is a strong word in it. I looked at the word devotion this week, and the definition of devotion is love, loyalty, or enthusiasm for a person, activity, or cause. When you start, somebody, when you start saying somebody has love, or somebody is loyal, or somebody has enthusiasm, those are powerful words of thought. I took a step back this week, and I started asking myself the question, what are the things we're devoted to? if Luke wrote Luke Uh, If Luke wrote Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47, based on our church today, what would he say? What are the things we're devoted to? What are the things in your life that you love? What are the things that you're loyal to? What are the things you're enthusiastic about? You know, I was kind of thinking a little bit this week about the the Falcons. Of course, they're playing today, you know, they're they're in the NFC Championship. And I started thinking about the Super Bowl. And I started wondering, I said, you know, I wonder what a ticket to the Super Bowl costs. I'm certainly not knowing. I'm just curious. I went to one of these websites where you can buy tickets, you know. And I tied you at the Super Bowl. The cheapest ticket available to the Super Bowl right now is $2,000. That's the cheapest. That's the bottom. You're, you're like, I'm not sure you can see the field at $2,000 right now. But you're in the building, and it goes up all the way to $50,000, $60,000. Now, we understand corporations buy these tickets and they give away. We, we understand how that works, but I'll tell you this. There are fans in the world so that will pay that kind of money to see their team playing Super Bowl. Somebody's going to pay that kind of money for that ticket. Do you know what's going to happen? They're going to sell that game out. They always do. They'll sell all the tickets, and people are paying thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. And we, we look at that and we say, how could you be that devoted? How could you be so devoted to football that you pay thousands of dollars to see this game? And then we look at ourselves in the mirror and we say, you know, what, what are we so devoted to? What are the things that we're devoted to over Christ? What are the things that are really important to us? What are the things that we're loyal to? What are the things that we love and have enthusiasm about? What are the things that we do in our lives that we put Christ ahead of the things in our lives that we put ahead of Christ and what we should do? How devoted are we to the things of Christ? How devoted are we to studying His Word and to prayer and to fellowship and to breaking bread together? Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a book called Life Together. You should read Dietrich Bonhoeffer if you never have it. He lived in Nazi Germany, was a believer. And he understood the importance of community. His book, Life Together, The Classic Exploration of Faith and Community, he made what I think is an incredibly profound statement. Don't you listen to what he says. He says, the one who seeks solitude without fellowship. Now now bear in mind here, solitude is important. He mentions that earlier in his book. It is important to get away sometimes and to be alone, but it should happen in the context of a larger group of believers. He says, when one seeks solitude without fellowship, the one who seeks solitude without fellowship perishes in the abyss and listen, vanity, self infatuation, and despair. I think that's probably a little more profound than we even know because here's the world we live in. We live in a world that says, I'm going to please me, I'm my own individual. You do what you want to do, but what I do is none of your business. Stay out of my life. And we got people that live, as he puts it, in the abyss of thinking only of themselves. And they think only what they need and only what they want. And they have this vanity and they have this self-infatuation. It's amazing to me to live in a culture with so many people that are centered on themselves, so many people that are interested in doing only what they want to do, and yet they're in such despair the world we live in, isn't it? I mean, how many people have we known that have, have tried to do the things that want to make, that please themselves that have made them happy and they just can't find peace? It's interesting what Bob Hopper says here. He says that vanity and self-infatuation eventually lead us to despair. But see, that's not the model of the early church. That's not the model of Acts chapter 2, the idea of doing what we want to do. The idea of the early church is to live in community, To live together, to live in fellowship and devote ourselves to the things of Christ. To devote ourselves to one another. To love one another. To lift each other's burdens up. To carry one another along. Marching forward and the things that Christ has called us to do. Now look at verse 43 as we kind of finish this up this morning. Verse 43 of Acts chapter 2 says this. Everyone was filled with awe. Many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. So here's the way the mix plays out. We've got an early church group of believers who understand the importance of community. They understand the importance of fellowship. Within that context, they devote themselves to God, to the things of Christ, and to one another. And when they devote themselves to God, and to Christ, and to one another, in the context of community, verse 43 paints the picture. Here's the third thing I want you to see. Amazing things happen. That's amazing, isn't it? If we'll put ourselves in a community of believers... If we'll devote ourselves to His teaching and to prayer and to His Word and to fellowship and to breaking bread, if we'll do those things, amazing things will happen. And I think we miss that sometimes, don't we? Oh, Lord, well, you know, I've got my own recipe for success. Here's what I think we should do. Here's what I think that well, we're going to do: these four things, and hopefully, get, Christ says, "You know what? Okay, maybe, but are you in the context of fellowship?" Are there people that surround you and can hold you accountable? Are there people that can keep you reined in and keep you on the straight? And now, God says, if you'll do these things, in the early church there was this incredible mix. And when these things came together, incredible things happened. But here, here's the beauty of a small group. Being in a small group doesn't mean that more amazing things are going to happen. But what it does mean is you'll recognize those amazing things in someone else's life and not just your own. If you're kind of the long-ranger Christian, then you see the blessings of God in your own life just like this. Right? God gave me this and he did this and he helped me here. And that's wonderful. We should see those things. But if you'll take those blinders off and you'll surround yourself with other believers, what you'll begin to see is this, may God bless me here, and God bless me, here. Now. oh wait a minute, God blessed her over here. And did you hear what God is doing in his life? And did you see how incredibly God was, was working in their marriage and their family? When we surround ourselves with other believers, we see the blessings of God upon other people. See, I mean, that's, that's one of the beautiful things about mission work. I mean, mission work is, it is so wonderful for so many reasons that God commands us to do. But here's one of the things that mission work will do for you. When you step off that plane in another country, you're going to realize two things very quickly. Number one, there's a big, big old world out there. The same thing you're going to realize is God's at work all over it. And I think we get locked into this blinder mentality, man, that God at work here, and He's working my life, and here's how He blessed me, here's what I mean. Here's what and then again, we should pray for those things, and we should recognize God's blessings in our lives, but if we'll take those blinders off, if we'll surround ourselves with a community of believers and allow them into our lives and allow them to speak truth into our lives, allow them to hold us accountable, allow them to keep us on the straight and narrow. If we'll allow those people in our lives and we'll focus on Christ and we'll focus on loving to one another, incredible things are going to happen. Just like they did in the early church. You know, I think there's some great things that still happen within the context of small groups today. I think mean, one of the amazing things that happens within the context of small groups is that we learn from each other. And God speaks to us differently; He gives us different experiences and different understanding. And so, when we may study a passage of Scripture, and somebody's got a story that will help us better understand it. Or their faith has been strengthened in one area where ours has not. And we sit around a room, room with just a few people, and we've got our Bibles open, and we're comparing and talking and praying and fellowship. And then God begins to speak to us and through us because of the community of believers that we surround ourselves with. I think, in the context of a small group, we can see our spiritual gifts used for their maximum ability. In the Bible is very clear that you have different gifts than the person sitting next to you. I've got different gifts than you do. You've got different gifts than I do. Here's the beauty of the body of Christ. And we come together and we use our spiritual gifts for the glory of God. They mesh together to form one body. God does incredible things through those. You're not going to see that happen if you're the long range Christian. You're not going to see that happen if you're not in the context of community. Another thing we see that I think is a a, a miracle and something amazing that happens in the context of fellowship and community is that our love for one another grows. That's a hard thing sometimes, isn't it? But the Bible commands us over and over to love one another. John 13, 34, You command that I give you, love one another. John 15, 12, My command is this, Love one another as I have loved you. 1 John 3, 23, and this is His command to believe in the name of the Son Jesus Christ and to love one another as He commanded you. Now, here's what's assumed about all those verses. You can't love someone else unless you're around them, can you? You can't be a believer by yourself and love those people. You've got to put yourself in the context of community. You've got to put yourself in the context of serving with other people and grow with other people and allow them into your life and you speaking into their lives. And so at about. We, we've always focused on our small groups. We call them Sunday school classes. They be on Sunday ones. We've always focused on these small groups because we believe it's in these small groups where you grow and when you recognize the gifts of God and when you understand more about who He is and you can find places of service in the context of those small groups. And So I'm going to challenge you this morning. I'm winding down. I'm going to finish up with this challenge. I'm going to challenge you to do one of three things. The first thing I'm going to challenge you to do is if you're already in a Sunday school class, whatever that class is, I want you to continue to faithfully attend that class. I want you to recognize the calling of Acts chapter 2. I want you to recognize the importance of community, the importance of fellowship. And whatever class you're in, I want you to continue to faithfully attend that class. Here's the second challenge. If you're not already faithfully attending a class, but you're in some class, but kind of largely, you're here one week, here the next, I want you to commit yourself to attend more often. Whatever that looks like for you, whatever it looks like for your family, I want you to commit in the spirit of Acts chapter 2, in the spirit of community, I want you to commit yourself to serve in that class, to attend that class more often than you're attending now. Here's the third challenge. If you're not in a Sunday school class at all, you show up for worship and you sing and you worship and you love the praise man and you listen to the message and you go home. If you're not involved in a Sunday school class at all, I'm going to challenge you to do something we're so concerned about this in our church. We're so passionate that you find a small group. We're so passionate that this is the way you're going to grow that we're going to offer you something on February the 3rd. February the 3rd, we're going to teach what we're calling a Connect class. It's going to be taught by our associate pastor, Randy Chris. It's going to be at 9.30 and 11. You can pick the hour. So for you guys, you go to 9.30. It's going to be in the fellowship hall. Randy's going to tell you all about our Sunday school classes. He's going to give you multiple options based on your age and where you are in life. There's not going to be any pressure. We're not going to ask you to sign any document or promise to do anything. We're simply going to explain to you what we have and what we offer. And we're going to give you a place, hopefully, where you can plug in.
1: But we're so passionate
0: about it. This is such a big deal to us. We're going to offer this class to you. Specifically, if you're not in another Sunday school class on February 3rd, we're going to call it our Connect class. And I want you, i want to challenge you to make every effort you can to be in that class at 9.30 for you guys. Sunday morning, February the 3rd. So we can explain to you exactly who we are and options that you have. You know, I think the Bible is very clear in Acts chapter 2. I think the Bible is very clear and I think the early church understood very clearly the importance of community and the importance of fellowship. They understood the importance of Christianity and the Christian life, lived in the context of other believers to hold them accountable, to reign them in, to teach them and train them in the things of Christ. Here's the thing we have to do in our work today. We need to understand that model. We need to see that model and study that model. And we need to make sure that in some way we are living that model out in our own lives for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the clarity of Your Word, Lord. I just pray that it challenges, Lord. I pray the truth of Your Word would challenge us right now. Wherever we are, Father, either to continue what we're doing or to become more involved in a small group or if we've never found one, to find one, Father. And I just pray through the power of the Holy Spirit, Father, that that thought would just resonate in our heart, Lord, and you help us to apply that. You'd help us to see the need and the importance of community and fellowship. Father, you guide us to the, to the class where we can learn and grow and strengthen our faith. And then, Father, by this effort, by the things that we do, we pray that your name would be honored and your name would be glorified we'll on the earth. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You can stand. We're going to give you the opportunity for the next couple minutes to come and pray to the altar. We're going to give you the opportunity, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ, to repent of your sins and trust Him for salvation, we're going to give you the option to join this church. This is your time now. So, all right. <laughs>